definitely be upset. Awesome to see everybody milling about, talking, and having a good time. Well, good morning to FCC Church. Good morning, my love. How's everybody this morning? Great? Hey! Hey! There we go. Could you please stand up and worship along with us? You called my 
1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful that we can come together this morning, and we thank you for the blessings we have in you. And Lord, we're here this morning to lift up Jesus. And Father, I pray that what we give to you comes from our heart, and it comes from the depths of our soul. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Good, morning. good to see you this morning. We're here to lift up Christ together. Amen. Amen. We can put all agendas aside and other, all other things out the window because we're here for Jesus today, and we're glad that you've chosen to be with us for that. We ask one thing for you to do this morning. Please make sure you fill out your connection card, and for those of you who are watching online, we ask that you do the same for us. That way we can continue to keep in contact with you. At this time, I'm going to turn things back to the band, and we're going to continue lifting up the Lord in song together.
I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Psalms 121, 1 and 2. within me. Bless his holy name.
And you guys were knocked out of the park today. It sounded great. Appreciated the music this morning. You know, oh, by the way, uh, we had a great time at the Spa Plus event yesterday. Man, and it, uh, well, I'm hoping the offering's larger then. That'd be great. <laughs> but we had a lot of fun yesterday, and I wasn't going to preach on gluttony today, so that was the sin of the day, I think, but it was a lot of fun. We had a look, hopefully we're going to do that again. Appreciate Jules and the group for putting that together. You know, uh, in life, when we deal with things, one of the things that we have a tendency to do sometimes is we stick our head in the sand. And we think if we stick our head in the sand and we act like something's not going on, if we don't acknowledge it, then it's not happening. You know, for me, since I graduated high school and didn't become as athletically active, I've, I've always struggled with my weight. Well, actually, it's not a struggle because I just ate and didn't worry about it. But, you know, I get in front of the mirror and say, man, I look really good, man. This is a hunk of burning love here. And then some, you know, some fool invented a camera and I saw a picture. I'm like, oh, my, that's horrible. Um, because, like I said, I wasn't struggling. I just thought it was okay. I put my head in the sand. Um, I had many other things I struggled with. I used to have a horrid temper, by the way, a horrible temper, and the Lord helped me with that. But ignoring a problem or refusing to accept the situation doesn't mean there's not a problem. I mean, we've had loved ones, maybe, like my mother. You know, my mother, you know, she had, she had kidney cancer, and we knew that, but I didn't really want to accept it. You know, I didn't. I, and then when they said, oh, she, you know, we can get her through this, and I'm like, oh, good. And then when it didn't happen, I'm like, oh, I thought, you know, in my mind, my mind didn't want to accept the reality of the situation, so if I didn't accept it, it meant it wasn't happening. You ever done that with something? Men, we don't go to the doctor because if the doctor doesn't tell us we have that, if he doesn't tell us we, if he says, hey, if we don't have a doctor telling us we have colon cancer, whatever, we don't have it, right? So if we don't go to the doctor, we're not sick. We're always healthy. But ignoring a problem or refusing to accept reality doesn't mean there's not a problem. We ignore many things in life, and we hope that they'll just go away. At the conclusion of his letter to the church at Ephesus, Paul turns to the subject, a subject that many of us ignore, to the subject of spiritual warfare. There's a saying that says, whether you believe in the devil or not, he believes in you. Spiritual warfare is real. It's something that every Christian should expect to encounter in their walk with Jesus. Paul's perspective is unique for Christians because when he was in Ephesus, remember what was going on in Ephesus. It was a pagan capital of the world. They were spreading this stuff all over the place. The Temple of Diana was there, all kinds of things. But yet Paul was trying to call this church to be a church of impact. And for that to happen, they had to be people of impact. But they had all this stuff going on around them. And what we tend to do sometimes is we forget who the real enemy is. And in Ephesus, it would have been easy for Paul to say, hey, let's go attack Diana. Let's attack all Diana's followers. These people are evil. Look, they're following this pagan god. 
But Paul was wise enough to understand that those people weren't the problem, that there was a deeper problem, that there was something more going on. And sometimes we tend to focus in on the wrong issue because it's easier. It seems like in our spiritual walk sometimes, we can take two steps forward and three steps back. Life can be so challenging, and there's nothing that comes easy in life, and it seems like that seems to be getting more difficult as time goes on. I've seen people face challenges in their life. I've faced them. I've seen many people quit when, the thing, when things got tough. I've seen people who, who, who got strong and they persevered no matter what hit them. When I look at what's happening in our society, it seems like we're losing the battle. If you don't believe me, go to Target. Society in general seems to be sliding so far away from God that it just seems hopeless. The church seems to be fighting a losing battle in the arena of ideas. And once again, just look around and you can see it seems like we're failing. It seems like those who have an anti-God agenda are winning the battle. Look at the month of June. We're seeing this going on all around us. Many Christians feel bruised. They feel defeated. I know many of us, many of you, were struggling with your faith. Somewhere along the line, somebody told you that come to Jesus, and man, it's all going to be it's all going to be smooth. It's all going to be easy. Everything's going to go great. But unless you live some kind of a charm life, that's not the case, is it? Life just isn't that way. It's not the way some people thought it would be. There's a battle raging within you. There's a battle raging within you. There seems to be temptation at every turn. Everywhere we turn, like I said, they're throwing temptation even when they're selling paper towels anymore. How does it appear that the church and Christians are failing in life and in the public arena? Because we have the greatest message ever coming from the greatest God ever who created everything. But yet we possess this message, but yet it seems like we're failing. Why? Life shouldn't be this difficult. Here's what it boils down to. We're all in a war. We're in a war. And I honestly don't think we understand that at times. We're in a battle. We've been in a battle since the day we were born. We are all soldiers in God's army when we belong to him. When you give your life to Jesus, you are now a soldier in God's army. Before Jesus, you were at war with God. Unwittingly, probably, sometimes overtly. But when you give your life to Jesus, all of a sudden now you're engaged in a new battle. The enemy is trying to take you captive. You left the enemy, you deserted the enemy, and the enemy wants you back. And so he will do everything he can to bring you back. And that's the battle that we fight. Why do you think you're fighting with things within yourself? Why are you fighting your old nature? Why am I fighting my temper at times? Or why am I fighting different things that have, I should be dead to? Why am I fighting them? Because i got an enemy within me. Why do we sometimes fight amongst each other? Because we have an enemy who's stirring things up. And then what we do is we tend to look at one another as the enemy... Or we look at the people that are duped by what's going on on the month of June and we think, well, they're the enemy, when they're not. They're not. Hmm. If we're going to be successful in our campaign against the enemy, there's some things we need to know. And that's what we're going to look at this morning as Paul lays these out in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. And here's what you need to understand as we've been going through the book of Ephesians, through this letter, we've been talking about this concept of influence, of impact. Not just being a church who sits here on Fry Boulevard, but a church who's impacting our community. And remember, for that to happen, we have to be people of impact. We have to be able to impact people. But everything that Paul's taught up to this point, even through last week when we started talking about that nasty submission word, what we find is, if we fail here, if we fail here, if we don't understand we're in a battle, if we don't understand who we're really fighting, if we don't understand what's really going on, None of the rest matters. Think about it. Why would any of the rest of it matter if we fall prey to the, to the enemy? If we picked the wrong enemy? If we looked at people in the wrong way? What does the rest of it matter? Be submissive to whoever you want to be all you want to. Who cares? Because you've lost. So what we're going to do, what we need to do, honestly, is we need to pull our heads out of the sand and see what's going on. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 10, 
We'll start at chapter 6. There's no Ephesians 10, at least not in my Bible. And we'll, go to, we'll start at verses 10 through 12. It says this. Finally, be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Clothe yourselves with the full armor of God that you, you will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle, here's the key, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world rulers of darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. So our first observation this morning is this. We're going to start with a reality check. After all that Paul has written to the church of Ephesus in this letter, he finishes and starts in, at the very, near the end of the letter. He says, finally, finally. And the reason he's saying this, he says, okay, I've given you all these instructions. This isn't just some throwaway, but this is something that's of vital importance. See, we need to understand that soldiers are expected to engage in the battle where the battle is. When there's a battle, we're expected to be in that battle. Soldiers are shamed if they run from a battle or if they refuse to engage or if they think, ah, that battle's not for me. When they're called by, their, by the military to go into a battle and they run and hide or they try to escape, you're shamed for it. And you can get court-martialed and, you know, who knows what can happen to you. Soldiers are expected to be strong. Uh, cowardice on the battlefield is not honored. You don't get the Medal of Coward, you know. And, and I can't imagine what it's like to be shot at. You know, I told you this one for, one, once before. I was on the gun range one day shooting. Got somebody said, man, you're really good. And I said, well, nobody's shooting back. It's a lot different. So that's a difficult thing. But we don't give, we don't give medals for cowardice. We give medals for bravery, for people who will stand in the trenches and do the fight. When you're a soldier, you're expected to be strong. You're expected to hold your ground. And you're expected to attack when told. What we need to realize is the enemy that we face is formidable. We cannot underestimate them. When I used to coach softball, the team, when, when I was coaching my daughter's team, when we first moved into the ASA stuff, we weren't very good, and so teams used to beat on us. And then all of a sudden, we got good. But what took for a while to real, what other teams to realize is they, it, took a time, it took them a while to realize we were good. And after we whipped on a couple really good teams, they started taking us seriously because they quit underestimating us. And see, we're dealing with an enemy. You cannot underestimate this enemy because if you do, you'll lose. Uh, we see this on athletics a lot where it happens. The enemy we face is formidable. We need to be prepared and we need to be strong. That enemy knows your weakness and he's going to hit you there. Used to be my temper. He'd hit me in that temper. And there's other areas. He knew my weaknesses. He would come at me at those weaknesses because he knew I was vulnerable. So verse 10 begins with this, encouraging us to be strengthened in the Lord. The word strengthen literally means to be empowered. We are encouraged to let God empower us to fight the battle. We cannot do it alone. Philippians 4.13, a passage we're very familiar with, says that I'm able to do all things through the one who strengthens me. In other words, another way to write that is I'm able to do all things through the one who empowers me. Jesus empowers you to live the life that he's called you to live. You can't live that life alone. I remember years ago, I had a discussion with my brother, and we were talking about faith, and, and um, he goes to Catholic church occasionally, and he doesn't go to church a whole lot, but at that time, he was kind of exploring some things, and he says, you know, I need to really clean my act up, and then I might be able to go to church, and I said, that's, no, 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 no. Go to God just like you are. Let him work on you, because you won't be victorious doing it on your own. We will suffer defeat in our battle when we decide to go it alone. I hear so many people, oh, you know, I don't need, to be a Christian, I don't need to go to church. I would encourage that person to read their Bible. You know, they're probably going to come up with a little different conclusion. But one of the reasons that we're called to come together is to help each other through those battles. And we'll see this in a little bit when we start looking at the armor. But how many Christians do you know that are fighting a battle, some battle with a sin, uh, and when they're fighting it, what they do, they go hide they try to defeat the enemy on their own. They think, I've got this. And then we end up, they end up just being lost because they're trying to do it alone. When we send soldiers into battle, we don't just grab somebody off the street and say, hey, Kevin, you've just been recruited. We're sending you off to the battle, to the front lines. I don't think we ever do that. We try to train and equip and communicate. We do all these things with them. We don't send people out unprepared and alone. Even as soldiers, we'd be fighting in the streets. Many times they have air cover. 
They got communications things that help them. People, you know, love, uh, shoot, shoot some of those cool weapons they have. But they receive support. But yet, many times, because we underestimate the enemy, we try to go into the battle by ourselves, thinking, I've got so much pride, I can do it myself. You're going to lose. We have to understand where our power comes from. Paul, when he starts this, he says, be strengthened and powered by the Lord. Throughout the Old Testament, when the Israelites would go to battle, did they win? Did they win a lot of battles? Yeah, they did. How? How'd they win them? God was with them. God empowered them. They would have got smoked every time without God. God calls Gideon to, to get rid, you know, in the, in, and to do some things for him. And Gideon's like, I can't do that. No, 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 no. You don't understand. I can't do that. Finally, God, you know, they have a conversation. He's convinced. And Gideon says, okay, God, I'm in this. I'm going to go get an army. Gideon gets a 30,000-man army. 30,000. That's pretty impressive. God says, nope, not impressive. Because if you win victories, if you win victories, you're going to take all the credit. It doesn't work that way with me. So I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to get you down to 300. Got him down to 300. And, did, and Gideon's men just, they just, obliter- they just beat up on everybody. How? Were these 300 men like Chuck Norris's? You know, if you got 300 Chuck Norris's, you know, you can, you can conquer the world. But, but they weren't. They were just regular dudes. They won because God empowered them. Every victory Israel won, God empowered them. Every victory you win in your life, God empowers you. When you're in the middle of the battle for your life, let God strengthen you and let God's people know that you need help. Call in reinforcements. You don't have to tell them every detail, but say, look, I'm struggling, man. I need some prayer. Outside of Jesus, see, we're powerless. We, we don't have any power on our own because the enemy is so much stronger than we are individually that you'll just get obliterated. Verse 11 tells us to clothe ourselves with the full armor of God so that we can withstand the attacks to repel the attacks of the enemy. We'll talk about that a little bit later when we hit our next observation. But one of the things that we need to know about the enemy is the enemy is cunning and sly. Paul uses the word schemes. Schemes denotes a cunningness and a deception. The word is often used as a wild animal who's cunningly stalking their prey and then unexpectedly pouncing. You know, I know a cat has to be irritated when its owner gives a, a, a collar with a bell. Cat's like, I'm trying to sneak up on this thing, and that stupid bell keeps ringing and giving me away. See, this word for schemes means that the devil, the enemy, is sneaking up on you and trying to attack you. He doesn't say, hey, I'm coming. It's me. Be on the lookout. He's trying to get you. And so this is one of the things that we need to understand. Society is crumbling around us because people are falling prey to these schemes. And these deceptions, one of the great deceptions is, well, if you don't agree with me, you have to hate me. You know, this whole month of June's about that. If you don't get on board with what's going on with that, you hate those people. No, we don't. Just don't agree with them. We care enough about them to share the truth of the gospel with them. It'd be like walking by somebody's house that's burning and say, hey, you know what, I don't want to wake them up because I know they like to sleep in. You know, don't want to do that. And then we just watch them burn. Where's the compassion in that? As churches, we have to stand on the truth of the gospel on these things. We cannot, what's happening, and the other thing is we can't look at these people, any people, as the enemy. It's not them. They have been deceived. They've been deceived. When I was younger, the beer commercials, and I'll be honest with you, I've never liked this stuff. I don't know how anybody drinks it. You acquire the taste. Yeah, I don't want to acquire that taste. It's gross. But they used to have the commercials where you'd have these chicks, these hot chicks in bikinis rolling in your yard in the snow if you had some beer in your house i'm like well first of all where'd they get these weird girls at who wants to roll around in the snow dressed like that but they made it look so glamorous and but what they didn't show you at the extreme is the dude who just lost his family because he's an alcoholic the guy who smells like flies trying to collect beer cans so he can buy his next shot of hooch you know they don't show you that or when somebody's introducing somebody to drugs they don't say hey if you back where i'm from it was meth back in the day and it still is but the, the, the dealer didn't say i tell you what man i got this great stuff when you start taking this your teeth are going to fall out and look nasty and you're going to age 30 years you know they put a mugshot of some dude or girl on tv 25 years old they look like they were like 70 and nothing wrong with looking like 70 i'm getting closer to that but um, not when you're 25 that's not ideal and by the way you're going to get so hooked on this that you're going to do crazy things to keep getting it 
No, they just, oh man, you're going to get such a high off this. It's going to feel so good. You're going to be on top of the world. That's part of the deception of this stuff. And this is what the enemy does. The church is crumbling because we, the society's crumbling, excuse me, because we fail as a church to realize that we're engaged in a battle. The reason for this is so that we are told that we need to be empowered by the Lord so that we can stand firm against these schemes. Because if the church doesn't stand against these schemes, who will? And we're just going to watch society. We might as well fiddle while it's burning because that's what we're doing. Standing firm was a military term that spoke of holding on to a position, not losing ground. Because you can't launch an offensive when you're running. You can't launch an offensive very easily when you're losing ground. You have to maintain the ground you've gained. I've been told by some folks that I know that were in the Vietnam War, they said one of the tough things about that war was sometimes you couldn't tell who the enemy was because they didn't all wear uniforms. It could be that kid coming to shine your shoes and next thing you know, he's got a surprise box of explosives for everybody that's around him. You just didn't know. See, if we're going to fight a successful war, you got to know who you're fighting. And if we spend our time fighting people and fighting institutions necessarily, we're missing the boat because that's not the real enemy. These are folks that have been deceived by the enemy. People aren't the enemy. Our battle comes from a higher ground. People are victims of this enemy. But if we just focus on so-and-so, 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 or that group, or that group, we're missing it. And we'll end up fighting a battle that shouldn't be fought. Now, some people are willing participants in, in the other side. But more, pe- more times than not, people are just victims of the deception. And we have to stand against these deceptions. That's what we're called to do. Let's look at verses 13 to 17. It says this. For this reason, because of these schemes, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand your ground on the evil day, having done everything to stand. Stand firm, therefore. Be be fastening the belt of truth around your waist by putting on the breastplate of righteousness by fitting your feet with the preparation that comes from the good news of peace. And in all of this, by taking up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So the next check we're going to look at is an equipment check. Verse 11 leads into what we're looking at in these passages, which tells us, Because you're going to be fighting this stuff, because you're going to be attacked, you need to put on the full armor of God. And that's what verse 13 builds on. We're basically told, don't let the enemy leave you defenseless. Take up your armor and do it now without hesitation. This is a very urgent command from the apostle. He's telling us to do it now. How often have you viewed people's lives being destroyed, sometimes ended, because something hit them that they were not prepared for? Maybe everybody else saw what was going on but they never did. And finally, when that thing hits, they're destroyed. We're told to resist the evil day, and this phrase basically deals with the, those critical moments when, in our life when the devil assaults us. When this is going to happen, we know this is going to happen. We have to be ready for it. Remember, he knows your triggers. He knows what trips you, and he's going to put those out there, and we have to be aware of that, and we have to understand that when those things start to come before us, we have to recognize them and not step in those landmines. Without the full armor of God, we will not be successful in this endeavor. It's our duty to do what we're called to do, to put on that armor and to learn how to use it, and God will do his part. We're not called to lie on the couch and watch the battle. We must be actively participating in the fight if we're going to be victorious. We're, we're going to take it to the enemy. And to be able to do that, we have to learn how to use what he's given us to do so. We see so many examples in Scripture of people standing and fighting the battle. David, Peter, John, Daniel, Gideon, and the list goes on. All these people stood their ground and gained ground in the face of evil because they were prepared. I want to just briefly look at some some of the armor that we're supposed to put on. He starts off with something that you wouldn't think's that important. I mean, I wear belts all the time. Some people don't. I don't know how you do that, but I I always have to wear a belt to hold things up. But for the soldier, the belt was probably one of the most simple but most important parts of their armor. You know why? Because it held the breastplate in place so it protected their torso. It held their sword in place so it wasn't flopping around and cutting them all up. And it also um, 
It, all, it, it also was a place for them to put their tunic. They'd tuck the tunic in so they wouldn't trip over it when they're running in battle because those were rather long. So this belt was so important. And we're told that we're supposed to put this belt on. And without it, everything else just flops around and it's hard to get to. And what Paul calls this belt, he says it's the belt of truth. What we need to understand is the truth is what holds everything we have together. Without the truth, you have nothing. The truth should be what we anchor everything to. A person of clear conscience, a person of integrity, can stand in the face of the enemy with a clear conscience, knowing that the enemy can't attack them in those areas. You know, when you have secret sins you're hiding, the enemy attacks you in those places. When you, when you don't have those things, it's a lot easier to fight the battle. Once lies start creeping into our life, everything falls apart. Once your life starts being built on lies, things fall apart. John MacArthur Jr. suggests that this verse also deals with the commitment of a soldier of, Christ, of, of Jesus, that you have to have that commitment to put that belt on. Many people will talk a good talk about faith, but few are ready to get in and mix it up. Only committed athletes are successful. We see professional athletes, and boy, we'd love to be what they are. But, and then I always, the Olympics, I used to watch those all the time. You know, this person's worked like for four years or longer to be a skater, and they're skating, and there's always some former Olympian in the booth, and then they, the skater makes a mistake. Oh, that was huge. Their family's going to hate them for this. You know, oh, they just failed, and they're going to just go kill themselves because they didn't do a good job. To be successful in things, you have to be committed. They have to eat right. They have to train. For a soldier to be, to be good in battle, they have to be committed to the cause. And then we're told when you got that belt on, you hooked the breastplate of righteousness. The soldier had this thing that covered him from neck to thighs. It protected their upper torso and their vital organs. It was also known as a heart protector. The breastplate many times was made of leather, sometimes out of bronze, and for wealthy people, they had chain mail. Righteousness is an uprightness of character. It's integrity of character. And to be honest with you, that's one of the things... That's one of the things that I try to protect as much as anything is my integrity because at one point in my life, I, don't feel like I, had, I didn't feel like I had it. And you should be working very hard to protect your own integrity because without integrity, nobody's going to listen to you and you've opened yourself up to the enemy because you've got a lot of areas where he can attack you. An upright life is one lived in obedience to God's word. And in verse 15, he talks about putting footwear on. Now, any of you who ever run or done athletics or been a soldier... You can't do much if your feet are hurting. It's hard. And in the military, I know that they put a big emphasis on feet. If you have to engage the enemy and your feet are swollen and blistered, it's really hard to fight. It's very hard to fight. I learned a lesson last night about footwear. Typically, when I go shoe shopping, most of the time I just order them online, get them, and probably about 95% of what I buy fits. So we go into DSW last night. Ron said, you need some tennis shoes. I'm like, okay, so... We go in there. I said, I'm not buying Nikes. I said, it's my only, I'm not going to buy Nikes. Um, didn't really want to do Adidas either. When you start putting dudes in women's swimsuits, and that's just kind of weird to me. I don't want to deal with that. So I'm looking at the other brands, and we usually I can put on a pair of shoes. Oh, these are great. Let's go. And it's usually my wife. It's like, oh, gosh, we've got to go to five cities, six states, you know, and every shoe store and everyone to find it. We did, well, actually, we, what, we made a two-state tour one time. But anyway... We're in there, and I'm trying on shoes. This doesn't fit. Oh, this doesn't fit. Oh, this one squeezes my... And I'm thinking, man, I'm getting like my wife. I can't... I, what's the deal? But finally, I found victory, sort of. I think I've succumbed to the uh, senior part of my life. You guessed it. I bought, I bought uh, New Balance. <laughs> Talk to my wife about that one. But anyway... Um, now, you know, that's what I think. I, I, but anyway, they're comfortable. But I know that if I'd have bought shoes that weren't comfortable, it'd be hard to work out, it'd be hard to work, it'd be hard to do all kinds of other things. And so for, we have to have our, these, this footwear. Our feet need to be firmly planted on the gospel of Jesus. The gospel is where we get our traction to be able to fight. And then it talks about the shield of faith. Soldiers at this time had two different types of shields. They had one that went on their arm where they could repel attacks, but then they had another one, and that's what this passage refers to, about four feet high, and they had uh, some notches on the side. And what would happen, and most of the time they were made out of leather, and the leather was, was, had water poured on it, so when flaming arrows hit it, they would be extinguished. But what would happen is a soldier, when the enemies were coming, these soldiers would gather together, and they would interlock shields. So when the enemy came, if you watch the 300, you saw something very similar. 
um, they would get together and they would repel the enemy. And so you could, you could protect yourself. But if you have 100 guys coming at you and you're there by yourself and you've got this shield, uh, you're dead meat. But when you've got 50 of your comrades with you, 50 of your brothers and sisters in Christ locking shields with you, when that attack comes, you can repel it. And that's the, sh the shield he's talking about. And so this is yet another reason why as Christians we need to be together. Because if we're trying to live alone, we're going to get defeated. The shields form this portable wall and it would protect every soldier on the other side of it. And there's times when you need your brothers and sisters in Christ locking shields to keep you protected. And this is another thing that we need. And this is what Paul tells us. And then we're told that we need to, um, we need to put on the helmet. The helmet, the, the enemy is attacking you in your head, telling you you're not good enough, trying to fill your head with lies concerning God's love, concerning your salvation. We must continually, continually repel those attacks. And the helmet protects our head. It protects our thoughts is what the thinking is here. Because Satan will many times attack your position in Christ to get you to say, you know what, Jeff, you, you're a failure, which I am. And Satan plays on that. You don't deserve God's love. I don't. Satan plays on that. You're not good enough for God. I'm not. And he plays on that. But we have to be secure in our position in Christ, and that's what that helmet does. I mean, see, many of us understand we don't deserve salvation. I don't. I'll be the first to tell you that. And I believe that. But I also know I do have salvation because of who Christ is and who I am in him. Any other thought patterns, pride. And there's no room for pride with Christ. Not like that. And then we're told the next thing, and this is one of the things that's offensive, it's the sword. Now, many people carry firearms to this day. Glad you had the opportunity to do that. But the worst thing you can do is if you don't know how to use that thing is to carry it because you're going to hurt somebody or it's going to take it away and use on you. If you don't know how to properly use your firearm, and I, and I am pro-firearm big time, but I would always tell you, make sure you know what you're doing. Get training, practice, make sure you go through scenario, make sure you know what you're doing with it. Well, we have the sword. It's the word of God. And we have this sword, but the problem is many Christians have no clue how to use it. And it gets used against us. And then we end up falling for cults. We end up falling for lies because those folks know how to use their sword that they formulated and we don't know how to use ours. And so when Jesus was being tempted, what did he use? The word of God, that was his sword. That's how he fought off the enemy. He knew how to use it. And so what we need to realize is, is when we have these swords with us, whether it's on your iPhone or an actual book, you need to know how to use that sword. And that means spending time on it. Coming in here for 20, 30 minutes and listening to Jerry and I, I mean, that'll help you, but you need to spend time apart from that. Imagine I told you in six weeks, you are going to have to be in a sword fight with a professional person who knows how to kill, who's killed many people with a sword, and you're going to fight them for your life. And I said, what you're going to do now is you're going to come in 30 minutes for each next six weeks, and I'm going to tell you how to use that sword. And then you're going to go home. What are you going to do when you go home? You go, okay, he told me. And he, you're going to put your sword down, never use it. You're never going to practice with it. And remember, your life's on the line, okay? You're going against somebody who knows how to use it. What are you going to do? I don't know about you, but I'd better be going home and say, okay, I need to read the manual on this thing. Even though men don't read manuals, I would do that. I will watch YouTube videos so I can learn how to do things. I'm going to listen to podcasts, see how I can see. I'm going to do everything I can to learn how to use that sword so I have a chance when I stand up against this professional. I may go down, but I'm not going to go down without a fight. And see, but many of us, that's what we do at the Bible. We heard Jeff, we heard Jerry. We went to a Bible study with Al. And then we put our sword away and we do nothing with it the rest of the week. And then when there comes time for us to pull it and use it, we have no clue which end is up. We don't know where Leviticus is. We can't find Deuteronomy. We can't find John or Third John. We can't find the, the sixth chapter of the book of Jude. Do you all know where that is, right? Oh, right, there isn't one, is there? Yeah, there's only one. But that's the point. We need to be able to use that. We need to be able to use the Word of God. Because that's how you're going to protect yourself. Let's finish up with verses uh, 18 through 20. It says this. With every prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and to this end be alert with all perseverance and petitions for the saints. Pray for me also, that I may be given the right words when I begin to speak, that I may confidently make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. 
Pray that I may be able to speak boldly as I ought to speak. So our third check is a communications check. Communications with headquarters many times can be the difference between victory and defeat. When our soldiers are in the field, communications are important because they can tell you where enemies are. They can tell you, you can tell them where to launch. There's all kinds of great benefits from it. Paul is asking us to make that communication with our commander, with God. He talks about prayers, petitions. Prayers are general prayers. Petitions are specific ones. They're to be offered up all the time. We need to constantly be in contact with the Lord, particularly when you're under attack. Lord, help me. Sometimes I just simply say, Satan, leave me alone. But Lord, help me. Lord, how can I fight this off? And this is where your sword comes into play because when you've remember, memorized passages, God will bring them to mind and say, hey, here's how you fight that. See, we can be victorious when we're communicating with headquarters. And prayer is something we don't just do and stop. I know people who've been praying for family members and loved ones for decades that finally came to Jesus. Decades. What would happen if five years into it, hey, you know what, it ain't working, I'm going to stop. We don't know. We have to be consistent. We don't quit no matter how bad the battle looks, no matter how hopeless it looks. We, that's when we even pray harder. Our society, it looks hopeless, folks. Our government probably is, but anyway, it looks hopeless too. We have to keep praying. We can't quit. Folks, the spiritual warfare that we face is real. And if you don't understand that, you know what you're going to do? You're going to pick people as your enemies. You're going to pick people groups as your enemies. You're not going to see the real enemy. We must be willing to fight the battle, but we must also know who to fight. Because when we pick the wrong enemy, we're fighting the wrong battle. When we pick that enemy as people, we're fighting the wrong battle. We have to go to where the battle's coming from. But sticking, in our, sticking our heads in the sand and acting like it's not happening isn't going to help us either. So my question for all of us this morning is, what are we doing to prepare for the battle we face each and every day? Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20 is a great place to start. This morning, our praise team is going to come up and lead us in a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning to do that. You know, many times, many people fight a lot of battles and they're losing them. And after a while, you keep losing them. What happens? You feel hopeless, don't you? Well, if you want to start winning those victor battles and having victory, you have them through Jesus. Those temptations you've been fighting, you're like, I can't get rid of them. You can get rid of them through Jesus. Those issues you're struggling with in life, you can get rid of them through Jesus. But more importantly, you can have eternal life with the God who created you, the God who loves you, no matter what everybody else around you says. God loves you. So this morning, we're going to offer you the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you're ready to do that, we invite you to come forward this morning where you have an opportunity to confess your faith, to repent of your sins, to meet him in the baptismal waters where your sins will be washed away and you're going to rise and walk in a newness of life. And that guilt and shame that's been holding you back, you can, you can just leave it in the water because Jesus will take it. If you need that this morning, we offer you that. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward this morning. And if you need prayer, uh, if you need prayer this morning, if you come forward, I'd be glad to lift you up in prayer. But if you have a decision to make this morning, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing our song of decision together.
Please be seated. You know, from an earthly perspective, when we think of a good father, we think of somebody who loves us, who cares for us, who sacrifices for us, who does everything to the best of their ability for us, for now and to prepare us for the future. And when we think of God the Father, sometimes it's hard for people to, rel to, to relate to that because they didn't have a good earthly father. But the great thing is about our God is he is a good, good father. He loves you. He's done everything for you. He sacrificed for you through his son Jesus. And he's done everything he can that's best for you because he loves you. And when we take our communion this morning, this is a real expression of love. It's love that God has for us. When he sent his son, he knew he wasn't just going to stay dead, but he also knew he was going to suffer for our sins. And he could have just said, okay, what we're going to do, Jesus, you're going to go to earth, you're going to preach some sermons, and then you're just going to die, and it's going to be okay, and I'm going to raise you from the dead. But it was much more than that. And the reason it was so complex is because of the, who God is and because of the love that God needs, that we need to know that we have in Christ. And so when you take your communion this morning, remember the motivation for what we're celebrating was love, as is everything with God. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful that we can come around this table and celebrate your presence and celebrate the love that you have for us and that you are definitely the good father and lord i pray that as we take these elements we are we remember that the cup represents the blood that your son jesus shed on the cross for us and the bread represents the body that was his body that was broken because of what we have done lord we are reminded of the love that you have for us by allowing this to happen it's in jesus name that we pray amen
On the inside of your bulletin, we have our, prayer, uh, our announcements for this week. Uh, my understanding is there's no youth activities this evening, and also there is no high school or junior high camp this week. That's next week, I believe. Uh, we have an elder preacher meeting at 3.30 today, and Roger's life group is meeting this evening. Leadership team meeting on Tuesday. We have no teen study until July. And uh, Friday, we're doing our uh, prime time. We'll be at Pit Stop, and the first 30 people who sign up are in because we're limited to 30. So I understand that's a really good place. I haven't eaten there. Looking forward to it. Operation Christmas Child's accepting donations of school supplies and things. You can see that in the bulletin. And Stitches of Love has got an, an announcement. They're looking for people that can sew sundresses and shorts for OCC. Also see CareNet has a job opportunity. But that basically uh, wraps up our announcements. I want to thank the, the ladies spa for putting on yesterday's event. That was a lot of fun. It's really pretty up in the mountains. It's a little cold there, but it's really pretty. On the inside, on the backs, or inside, I guess it's technically on the inside of your bulletin, we have prayer concerns. We ask that you take note of those. Our men's pancake breakfast had a good turnout this last Sunday, and that was good to see, or this last Saturday, that was good to see. So we pray that those continue to go well. We have um, a lot of people we're praying for for health-wise. Keep Gala in your prayers. as She is doing better now. And we have many others we're praying for. We're praying for troops, our shut-ins, our our outreach with the local schools this month and Boise Bible College. So continue to keep those in, there, in your prayer. At this time, let's stand together and we'll go to the Lord in prayer and the band will lead us out with a song. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we've had to be together today. And Father, I pray that all the folks that we have in our bulletin, all the situations, that we take those home and meditate those on those with you throughout the week. And Father, I pray that as we leave this place, we leave so with joy, but we also understand that we're in a battle. But Lord, we can have joy knowing that you're on our side. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat>